0: Section 32 of Antonia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Antonia by George Sand, translated by George Burnham Ives. Chapter 7, Part 5. Great heaven, exclaimed Madame Thierry in dismay, how calmly you say that! Is it true that you are really so tranquil in your mind as this? As you see, I was overwhelmed the first few days, and I did not conceal it from you to any great extent. But as time passed, I understood Madame D'estreux's silence. The tranquillity that you observe today is the result of two months of reflection. So don't be surprised at it, and believe that I am proud enough and sensible enough to overcome the pain I may have felt. Julian's resolution was not feigned. He was perfectly honest in it, but he suffered too keenly to half-confess his suffering. The better way was to refrain from any confession whatsoever. In the evening, as it was very warm, Julian went out to take a bath in the river. Ordinarily he joined a number of young artists, employed in the porcelain factory, whom he advised and instructed. But on this evening, feeling that he must be alone, he avoided them and went to a deserted spot on the outskirts of a piece of woodland. It was dull, lowering weather. Julian jumped into the water mechanically, and suddenly this thought came to his mind as he was swimming about. This is a terrible blow from which I feel that I can never recover. If I should stop paddling here for a few moments, the water would swallow up my grief and keep the secret of my discouragement. As he reflected thus, Julian ceased to swim and sank rapidly. He thought of his mother's despair, and when he touched bottom, he pushed himself up with his foot and returned to the surface. He was a good swimmer and could play with death thus without any risk. But the temptation was strong, and the thought of suicide produces a terrible vertigo. Three times he abandoned himself to the temptation, with increasing excitement, and three times he recovered himself, with decreasing resolution. As a fourth paroxysm, more violent than the others was impending, Julian rushed ashore, afraid of himself. "'and threw himself on the sand, crying, "'Forgive me, mother.' "'And he wept bitterly for the first time since his father's death. "'Tears did not relieve him. "'The tears of strong men are horrible cries and stifling sobs. "'He blushed to feel that he was so weak "'and had to confess that he would be like that for a long while, "'perhaps forever. "'He returned home, dissatisfied with himself.' and almost cursing the days of happiness he had enjoyed. He raged in his heart, and, wandering alone through the garden while his mother slept, and the lightning constantly set the horizon on fire, he reproached his mother for loving him too well, and depriving him of liberty to dispose of himself. Why, he exclaimed, to live always for some other than oneself is downright slavery, I have no right to die. Why have I a mother? They who belong to no one are the happiest. They can, if they still love a broken life, hurl themselves into the dissipation which distracts the mind, into the debauchery which intoxicates. But I have not even that right, nor have I the right to be depressed and ill. I must burn at a slow fire, smiling all the while, A tear is a crime. I cannot breathe heavily, dream, utter an exclamation in the night without my mother rushing to my side, terrified and ill herself. I cannot depart from my habits, go on a journey, seek oblivion and diversion in motion and fatigue. Anything of that sort would worry her. To live without me would kill her. I must be a hero or a saint, so that my mother may live. Happy are the orphans and abandoned children. They are not doomed to bear a burden beyond their strength. Julian had no sooner given vent to this revolt against destiny than other blasphemies entered his mind. Why had Julie disturbed his dream of self-sacrifice and virtue? Had he not accepted all the duties of his position? Had he not performed those duties faithfully? "'By what right did that woman, because she was tired of solitude, "'take possession of his solitude? "'Was it not cowardly and blameworthy of her "'to give him a glimpse of the joys of heaven, "'although he neither hoped nor asked for anything, "'and then leave him to the humiliation of having believed in her?' "'You have made me a miserable wretch,' he cried in the depths of his wrathful heart. You are the cause that I no longer esteem myself, that I no longer love my art, that I curse my mother's love, that I no longer believe in my strength of will, and that I have felt the shameful and idiotic thirst for suicide. You deserve that I should revenge myself on you, that I should go to you among your friends and reproach you with the destruction of my beliefs, my peace of mind, and my dignity. "'I will do it. I will say to you. I will trample you under my feet.' "'Then he thought of the future which Julie apparently had in mind for herself, "'and all the horrors of jealousy rose before him. "'He saw her in the arms of another, "'and he dreamed of the murder of his rival in every possible form. "'He went out into the country and walked at random. "'He found himself once more on the shore of the stream.' The storm broke, and a lightning struck a tall tree not far from him. He darted in that direction, hoping that another bolt would strike him. He roamed about in torrents of rain, unheeding, and did not return until daybreak, ashamed to be seen in that state of insanity. He slept two hours, and woke well, completely crushed, horribly frightened by what had taken place within him, and resolved not to allow himself to be taken by storm again by a violent passion of which he had not hitherto realized the extreme danger. He had much difficulty in rising. He breakfasted with his mother. I have always believed, he said to her, that love, being the supreme blessing, should exalt us and sanctify us. I see now that love is the very acme of selfishness, and that it may make us bloodthirsty or idiotic. Love must be conquered, but love cannot be broken like a chain. It must be allowed to die out little by little. Julian had a violent attack of fever and delirium. His mother divined his suffering, and she too cursed poor Julie in her heart. Meanwhile, Marcel had gone to see Julie. Madame, he said, you must return to your own house, never, my friend she replied with her heart-rending sweetness. I am very comfortable here, I live on my little income. I lack nothing. I am not unhappy, and unless you want to occupy this house. This house is not mine. I deceived you about it, but you are at liberty to remain here unless out of regard for Julian. You will consent to what I ask. For Julian, you say? What do you mean? Julian knows where you are. He knows that you do not propose to see him again. He swears that he will not try to disobey you. He submits absolutely to a decision of the reason for which he is ignorant. You have, therefore, no further cause for remaining in concealment. Ah, very well, said Julie with a bewildered air. But in that case, where shall I go? To your house in Paris. I no longer have a house. Possibly, but you are supposed to own your hotel temporarily. People suppose that you are engaged in arranging a settlement with Monsieur Antoine. You must show yourself so that a mysteriously prolonged absence may not furnish food for slanderous suspicions. What do you expect people will say? All that they can say of a woman who has something to conceal. What does it matter to me? For Julian's sake you ought to be most careful of your reputation, which we have succeeded thus far in preserving intact. Julian knows perfectly well that I have nothing with which to reproach myself. "'It is because he knows it that he will fly at the throat of the first man "'who presumes to say a word against you.' "'Let us go, then,' said Julie, ringing for Camille. "'I will do whatever you choose, my friend, "'provided that I need never see Monsieur Antoine again.' "'Do not say that, madame. I have a single remaining hope.' "'Ah, you still have hope, have you?' said Julie with her heart-rending smile." i should lie if i said that was very well founded replied marcel sadly but i cannot abandon it until the last extremity do not deprive me of the means of breaking down monsieur antoine's obstinacy what is the use queried julie didn't you tell me that the marriage of a titled woman to a plebeian meant unhappiness persecution and a horrible struggle for the plebeian ah madame If the plebeian were very rich, most people would forgive you. Then you would have me ask your uncle to enrich the man I love. I must dishonor myself in my own eyes, in Julian's too, perhaps, to earn the forgiveness of a society without honor and without heart. You ask too much of me, Marcel. You abuse my utter prostration. May God give me strength to do but one thing. "'Resist you, for, after that disgrace, "'I should feel that I had delayed too long to die.'" Poor Marcel was overdone with fatigue and disappointment. He wore himself out in words and efforts of every sort, and he succeeded only in rescuing all his friends from poverty and saving the material comforts of life for them. He could do nothing for their mental condition, and he said to his wife every night, "'My dear love,' There is nothing falser than reality. I am moving heaven and earth to provide them with the means of living, and I succeed only in killing them by inches. End of section thirty two.